Support for this NPR podcast comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, family-owned, operated, and argued over since 1980. Proud supporter of independent thought, whether that's online, over the air, or in a bottle. More at sierranevada.com. You may have noticed something at all these protests over police violence. There are a lot more white people there than you'd expect. But how long will that last? This awakening among white American voters, how far are they really willing to go beyond dethroning Trump? Adam Serwer on race and lessons from history. Listen and subscribe to It's Been a Minute from NPR. Happy Friday, everyone, from NPR Music and All Songs Considered. I'm Stephen Thompson. I'm here with Ann Powers. Hey, Ann. Hey, Stephen. It is New Music Friday. Every Friday, the world gets a wave of new albums, and every Friday, we dig up a big batch of our favorites. For this week, June 12th, we've got new music from Chloe and Hallie, Nora Jones, and more. And we don't often get to start with jazz, but this week is special. We're going to open with Ambrose Akinmusari and his gorgeous new record, On the Tender Spot of Every Callow moment. That's Ambrose Akinmusari. The song we're hearing is Tide of Hyacinth from the new album On the Tender Spot of Every Calloused Moment. Joining us to talk about Ambrose Akinmusari is our friend Nate Chenen of WBGO and Jazz Night in America. Hello, Nate. Hi, Stephen. It is a pleasure to have you here. So Ambrose Akinmusari is a jazz trumpeter and band leader. He was born in Oakland, spent a bunch of years in New York and L.A., moved back to Oakland in 2016. And at that point, he began reflecting on how his city has changed and how black life in general has and hasn't changed. Those themes are extremely strong in this record, which reflects on black life in songs that encompass not only jazz, but strong undercurrents of blues. Nate, talk to us about this record. I found it so sprawling and powerful and beautiful. I absolutely agree. This is really a a remarkable statement from Ambrose, who has given us pretty much every time he's come out with with an album. I find myself saying that. Uh, And I know Anne feels the same way. But this one is really pretty amazing to me because on the one hand, it feels conceptually daring and really sort of thematic. And on the other hand, it's a document of just a killer working band, you know? Um, And it's interesting, his previous release, which was titled Origami Harvest, was like high concept, you know? And it was my number one album of 2018, and it balanced so many things. And it was this sort of marvel of synthesis, you know? And the album before that was a Live at the Village Vanguard document by his working quartet. And I feel like those two poles really converge on this one, which is really something, you know, it's, it's like, um, I mean, I don't know, at this moment, I feel like it might be his greatest work to date. For those who don't know Ambrose Akinmusari's work, um, he's in a lineage with great trumpeters like Miles Davis, obviously, Don Cherry, uh, Roy Hargrove. In fact, there is a song dedicated to the late Roy Hargrove on this album. But Nate, I know that you've 
you've written that on this particular work, you can also hear the more experimental strains in his music, as you were just talking about, um, including even a connection to the Art Ensemble of Chicago. Tell, tell us about that. Yeah, you know, I think because Ambrose is a, you know, he's a terrific trumpet player who records for Blue Note Records. I don't know, there's a sort of perception that comes with that. You know, he is completely fluent in the post-bop tradition, and he has a band that often plays in that mode. And so I think he's been sort of categorized as, you know, someone in the lineage of Roy Hargrove. And he is, but, you know, um, and when I talked to him (laughs) about this record a, a little while ago, he shared a story about the very first time he ever set foot in a jazz club. It was Yoshi's in Oakland and he won a radio contest and it just so happened. I think it was an accident of timing. He showed up to Yoshi's with his mom uh, at age, I think 14 and it happened to be the art ensemble of Chicago. And so you have to imagine this kid who's really just like, he's learning the fundamentals of his instrument. He's just beginning to form a relationship with the jazz tradition and out comes this band in face paint and Lester Bowie's wearing a lab coat and you know to begin the performance they face east for five minutes and say nothing you know and it's this this wild interdisciplinary intertextual kind of like historical futuristic you know it's just so much happening in that moment and as Ambrose said yeah, that was my first jazz gig. <laughs> so it's important to note that Ambrose, some of the, the early mentors he had in New York, sort of big brotherly type figures, were like really conceptual thinkers like Jason Moran. Right, Steve Coleman, Steve right? Coleman, really, yeah, Steve Coleman. Yeah. Vijay Iyer is another one. You know, he had really um, important contact with people who were likewise, you know, like Roscoe Mitchell of the Art Ensemble, thinking very much outside any box, you know, and and understood the jazz tradition as something not fixed and linear, but really kind of mutable and multidimensional. And I think that's crucial. I also, Nate, wanted to ask you about the themes behind this record, because this is clearly not just a musical statement, but a statement about the state of America and the state of black life in America. And you know, this, this album closes with a track called Hooded Procession, Read the Names Out Loud. Yeah, this is part of a, a sort of series. And it's really interesting to take it back for a second. When Ambrose released his first album on Blue Note in 2011... Um, I wrote a, a, a profile uh, for the New York Times, and we talked about the fact that it's a rite of passage for like a hot young jazz artist to, to release that first Blue Note album. But Ambrose was insistent that he wanted to include a track called My Name is Oscar. And this was an elegy for Oscar Grant III, who was killed by transit police in Ambrose's hometown of Oakland. And this gesture came before the movie Fruitvale Station. Mm-hmm. Um, it came two years before the phrase Black Lives Matter became, you know, sort of a hashtag and a rallying cry. So Ambrose is really making that kind of gesture right out of the gate as an artist. He followed it on his subsequent studio albums um, with other tracks that really make a point of naming the fallen. So one thing that's interesting about this particular piece, Hooded Procession, is that there, there are no words. Um, in contrast to the other pieces, he's not naming names, but the title, the full title is Hooded Procession, parentheses, read the names out loud. What strikes me is that he's playing this, this slow, chiming 
chordal procession on Fender Rhodes piano. And he's inviting or perhaps urging the listener, us, to, to do that work. And it strikes me as a really, really powerful statement right now, you know, yeah. right at this moment, because it's not enough to admire his effort. We have to step up. It's sort of an update on the art ensemble standing and facing the East. You know what I mean? Mm. It's like I've I've been in the room with them when they've done that, too. And it really does throw you back on yourself and make you really think about what you are doing as you're listening to music. And that is always something that happens for me when I listen to Ambrose Akinmusery's music. That's Ambrose Akinmusery. His new album is called On the Tender Spot of Every Calloused Moment. Thank you, Nate. My pleasure. Let's go next to Jenny Beth. Jenny Beth has just put out her first solo album. It's called To Love Is To Live. Not my duty to give you shelter. Not my duty to give you hope. Does living in the city mean your heart turns dark and small? It's living in the That's Innocence from To Love Is To Live, a new album from Jenny Beth. Jenny Beth was born in France as Camille Bertomier. She's a singer, songwriter, musician, poet, author, and actor uh, who spent the last decade or so as lead singer of an intense and powerful band called Savages. Uh, Jenny Beth has said in interviews that she was inspired in part by the death of David Bowie, who was a major influence. Uh, she's said that she approached making this record, quote, as if she was going to die. Uh, that intensity of purpose really comes through on a record that feels cinematic and expansive in big bold ways oh my goodness steven i can't tell you how much i not only love this record but feel it was personally made for me <laughs> <laughs> as that gal from the 90s no i mean look i like savages a lot i, I mean they were a great band but this record it's visionary. Mm -hmm. um, Jenny Beth is not shy about showing her influences, especially PJ Harvey, right. I think. Um, she's open for PJ Harvey in the past, and and uh, her voice is somewhat similar to Polly Jean Harvey's, uh, along with Patti Smith's and, I dare say, Iggy Pop's voice. But that's okay, because it's not just that Jenny Beth owes a debt to PJ Harvey. It's that she is carrying on something that Polly Jean has done throughout her career, which is to make an inquiry into the fundamental questions about desire, about being in a body, about, you know, all of the complicated and sometimes very dark emotions that we hold within ourselves. And she works with some key veterans on this record, including Atticus Ross, mm -hmm. uh, who's known for uh, a lot of work with Trent Reznor, Flood, mm -hmm. uh, the producer Flood, who has worked with Polly Jean Harvey in the past, and Jenny Beth's own partner, Johnny Hostel, who was also the producer of uh, Savage's albums. I think they create this amazing soundscape on this record and really to be as cliched as possible, they take us on a journey. <laughs> <laughs> a deep journey inside the unspoken. And I absolutely love that. Yeah, I mean, 
the contributors on this record uh, kind of give you an interesting triangulation of, of what she's doing here. You have Romy Madley-Croft from the XX, uh, Joe Talbot from Idols. Uh, and One of my favorite bands. <laughs> who, is, who is so good. And the actor Killian Murphy uh, <laughs> pops up. So you have a sense of just kind of the artistic breadth of, of voices here and sounds here. It's a little bit of a, it is a left turn from those Savages records, which I really, really love. But you're right, Anne. I think this is going to, to even bigger, bolder places. That's To Love Is To Live, a great new solo record from Jenny Beth. Let's go next to Gia Margaret. Gia Margaret has a new album called Mia Jargret. How does your head look to your eyes? Well, I tell you, it looks like what you see out in front of you. Because all that you see out in front of you is how you feel inside your head. It is easy enough to stand still. The difficulty is to walk without touching the ground. Why do you feel so heavy? It isn't just a matter of gravitation and weight. It is that you feel that you are carrying your body around. Common speech expresses this all the time. Life is a drag. I feel I'm just dragging myself around. My body is a burden to me. To whom? To whom? That's the question. You see? When there is nobody left for whom the body can be a burden, the body isn't a burden. But so long as you fight it, it is. That's Body from Gia Margaret and her new album, Mia Jargret. That's Jargret with a G. I'm going to assume she pronounces it uh, the way she would pronounce Gia. I first heard Gia Margaret in the run-up to South by Southwest last year. She had this amazing song called Birthday. Tons of smooth and shimmery guitar lines, a gorgeous melancholy voice. I found the music drowsy but really bright at the same time. This record, Mia Jargret, moves in a different direction. It's more ambient in its approach, far fewer vocals, and it turns out that was by necessity. The singer, who's based in Chicago, got sick and lost the use of her singing voice for many months. Uh, Gia Margaret says she felt hopeless and made this record as a kind of therapeutic pursuit. She wanted music that gave her a sense of hope, that put the tools she had at her disposal to good use, so she created these lovely soundscapes and filled them with field recordings and spoken word bits and samples, that sort of thing. The song Body that we just heard uh, the sample is from a lecture by the British philosopher Alan Watts, who really inspired her during the making of the record. And then Mia Jargret closes with Lesson, a short song that showcases Gia Margaret's singing voice. Is it all in my head, dear one, dear one? I'll find a reason instead. And I'm avoiding your love. And I told you a lie. To get you off the phone I thought it was to save you And when I'm alone I think it is to save you Did I miss a lesson when I 
isn't it weird, Stephen, how, um, you know, works that really were not made uh, in the context of what we're living through now speak so directly to the context of where we're living. And here we have um, an album facing down illness, which many of us either have or fear right now. It's very inspiring in that way. And it's interesting because she is a vocalist, and these songs have a kind of songwriterly quality. There is a a voice in them, and I don't just mean the sampled voices, but I mean, you know what I mean? Like, there's a perspective. Mm -hmm. It may be a cliche to call it uh, Eno-esque, but, you know, it will remind you of, of certain works of Brian Eno, also someone who made amazing ambient records and great song-based records. Yeah, G. Margaret has since recovered. She's uh, working on an album for next year. I love the way this Mia Jargret record expands her palette from what she was doing before. And she's made a useful record right now for when we're all seeking hope and a sense of perspective. I will say, though, I have a question for you, Gia Margaret, which is, do you play Minecraft? Because I was playing this record in my kitchen and my daughter wandered through and she said, Mom, why are you playing the music from Minecraft? So that may be a, a hidden inspiration on this record. Nice. Mia Jargret is the album. Gia Margaret is the artist. Next up, the duo Chloe and Hallie. Chloe and Hallie's new album is called Ungodly Hour. Baby Girl by sisters Chloe and Hallie Bailey, a duo from Atlanta. When they were kids, they got their big break singing pop covers on YouTube. Uh, as teenagers, they signed to Beyonce's management company. They ended up getting nominated for two Grammys for their first album from 2018 called The Kids Are Alright. Uh, Chloe and Hallie have already had a bunch of big, high-profile cultural moments. They turn up in Beyonce's Lemonade. They've toured with Beyonce and Jay-Z. They sang at the Super Bowl last year, and Hallie Bailey has been cast as Ariel in a Disney live-action remake of The Little Mermaid. Uh, as far as Chloe and Hallie goes, and talk to me about Ungodly Hour. Well, this is officially, you know, the uh, We're Growing Up album mm -hmm. from Chloe and Hallie. They are no longer teenagers. I, I believe Hallie is now 20 and Chloe is 21. Um, and 
you know, they're super pro. I mean, in a lot of ways, they are truly following in Beyonce's footsteps because they started their careers, as you said, Stephen, as not only teenagers, but as children. They were both child actors. And um, there's a, a sheen to this music that uh, you're going to love if you love Beyonce's albums, you know. They are in her lineage directly. But what I like about Chloe and Hell is they also have the Solange side mm -hmm. to what they do. <laughs> They're both accomplished musicians and also... Uh, they're producers. They have uh, producer credits on most tracks, even as they're working with well-known names like Mike Will Made It and Jake One and Scott Storch. And on the title track, uh, they work with the English duo Disclosure. So you see there's that Solange side, that mm -hmm. side that's uh, all about connecting R&B to British dance music and, and alternative quote-unquote sounds. Uh, this record does deal with, I guess, more adult themes. Some of the titles are you know, tipsy or do it or, um, you know, even the idea of doing a song called Baby Girl where you're confronting right. the idea of being a baby girl. Um, but there's still that freshness, that wholesomeness about Chloe and Hallie as they mature and uh, enter adulthood. I really like this record. I think it's fun. It's danceable. It's also uh, a sonic delight. There's a lot going on. Chloe and Hallie, I'd love to hear your voices. Yeah, that's Ungodly Hour, the new second album from Chloe and Hallie. We still have a handful of other records that we want to play for this week's New Music Friday. But first, let's take a quick break. The following message comes from our sponsor, Chipotle. As young farmers who raise their family hogs for one of Chipotle's pork suppliers, Nyman Ranch, the crew's siblings recognize the challenges that many face in the industry, including the financial barriers to entry. The average price per land around here is $6,500 an acre. That's not including machinery that you need to farm the land. And that's not an easy or a financially realistic task for someone who's our age in their early 20s. To learn more about how Chipotle is working to champion young farmers, go to chipotle.com farmers. It's New Music Friday from NPR and All Songs Considered. I'm Stephen Thompson, and I'm here with Ann Powers. We're looking at the best new albums out on June 12th. And next up is the Grammy-winning new music ensemble, Eighth Blackbird. Eighth Blackbird has a new album out today called Singing in the Dead of Night. And believe it or not, there's a Beatles connection. That's a little bit from a piece called These Broken Wings from the new album by 8th Blackbird. Here with Ann and me to tell us more about it is NPR's Tom Heisinger. Hey, Tom. You know, I've always loved 8th Blackbird because they seem game for any kind of challenging new music, and they're a very hardworking band for Grammys uh, that they've earned. But even more importantly, they have played a Tiny Desk concert <laughs> back in 2016, so you have to check that out. They're essentially a sextet of musicians based out of Chicago. They've been around since about... Uh, 1996. And I love the music that they're playing on this album called Singing in the Dead of Night. All world premiere recordings, by the way, works by the co-founding composers of the Bang on a Can Collective, and that would be Julia Wolf and David Lang, both uh, Pulitzer winning composers, and Michael Gordon. And then the three pieces on this record take their titles from the lyrics of the Beatles song Blackbird. So like Stephen said, we just heard These Broken Wings, which is subtitled Learn to Fly by David Lang. 
And I'd like to get into like a little bit longer excerpt now from Julia Wolf. And her piece uh, is called Singing in the Dead of Night, the title of the record. And, you know, I think what she's trying to get at here is, you know, what happens to your mind when you're when you wake up in the middle of the night, you're just alone with all your thoughts and you have some ideas and some of them you think, they're oh, they're kind of good. Maybe you write them down. Maybe, you know, in the clear light of morning, they don't turn out so great. But um, you, you're you generating ideas in this kind of weird wasteland of the dead of night. And that's what I think she's trying to get at. But just listen to how she depicts the night. Um, it's not quiet. It's a kind of this deafening silence of this pounding piano. And then a lone violin sings out, accompanied by this sandpapery sound. Well, it, it's, it actually is sandpaper. Um, and then a flute and a clarinet come in and kind of introduce this really eerie late night sound. So here's a part of Singing in the Dead of Night by Julia Wolf from the new eighth Blackbird record called Singing in the Dead of Night. Yeah, Tom, I'm, I'm impressed that you managed to find an excerpt <laughs> from a song that runs, what, 18 minutes long and that embarks on just such an incredible and enchanting journey. Just picking one little spot in the song to stop is, is a huge challenge. You do need to listen to it kind of all together, but the, the whole 18 minutes is really kind of cinematic. There are these little scenes that are playing out, like they play out in your head. There are some extended passages with really long held notes. There's this amazing concussive duet between the piano and the snare drum with some winds. And to me, it's just kind of like this audio portrait of the weird stuff that ricochets back and forth in your head in the middle of the night. It's uh, a coincidence that uh, The Beatles' Blackbird is the song around which all of this is based. Um, Bang on a Can, of course, I've fangirled them for years, and they've always worked, uh, you know, at the intersection of many different kinds of musics, including popular rock and roll. But I wonder, Tom, what do you think about that, that text, you know, that song as the, as the jumping off point for the whole piece? How does that work? It is interesting because it, it, it's the juxtaposition, I think, is what is interesting because, you know, it's one of the sweetest Paul McCartney songs uh, in the whole oeuvre. And then the music is really nothing like it at all. And um, that's what I think, it, for me, is the interesting thing, is the juxtaposition between the, the sweetness of the Beatles song 
and especially in this Julia Wolf excerpt that we just heard, this way of trying to get inside your brain and this very, these very dark and weird spaces in your brain. Well, I really appreciate this collaboration of offering us a new way to hear a song I thought I would never hear in a new way. And one cool thing about the band is that they have actually memorized the music so that when they play it, you know, live, hopefully we'll get to see them do it one day, they get to move around. So David Lang, the composer, drew in a choreographer to make the piece just a little bit more theatrical. So one day, fingers crossed, we'll see them do this all in person. That's great. That's Eighth Blackbird and their new album, Singing in the Dead of Night. Thank you for joining us, Tom. Hey, thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Anne. Bye, Tom. Bye. All right. Next, we go to the rapper and singer formerly known as Spank Rock. He now goes by his real first name, Naeem. His new album is Startisha. Niggas is Meklo, a pump and a petrol, and business is booming like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing is real, we in the hills, on foot on wheels, you in your fields, we in the building, we in here building, we stack your ass up like Legos, all of my niggas is Meklo, a pump and a petrol, and business is booming like Tesco, yeah. That's Simulation from Naeem, and if you sensed the presence of a few outside contributors, that track features guest appearances by Swamp Dog and Justin Vernon from Bon Iver. Justin Vernon is a huge fan of Naeem. If you're really familiar with Bon Iver, you may have noticed that one of the songs on Bon Iver's latest album, I, I, is called Naeem. That's a tribute. Uh, Naeem is Naeem Jawan, and in the last 15 years or so, he's made a couple of albums and a lot of singles and EPs under the name Spank Rock. And Spankrock's music mixed a lot of hip-hop and dance music sounds, but on Startisha recording under his own name, Naeem's music is much more atmospheric, much more personal, and really disconnected from any one genre. He actually opens this record with a cover uh, of a classic song from 1969 called You and I by the influential electronic band Silver Apples. You and I can walk together You and I can talk together You and I can have each other You and I can touch each other Startisha is a reflective record. There are love songs, songs about friends he's lost, songs about identity, his upbringing, and the pursuit of artistry. You know, Stephen, I always enjoyed Spank Rock because I like tricksters, disruptors, mm-hmm. you know, and as Spank Rock, Naeem was... Uh, 
he was kind of a troublemaker, you know, and, and it was party music, you know, it, it was very sexual and funny and, um, and crazy, but I really appreciate this evolution. It's, it's one of the most remarkable evolutions uh, recently in popular music. And I was reading an interview with him where he said he just felt that the spank rock identity had come to represent something that f started to feel like a box, mm -hmm. you know? His fans were expecting something from him, and he wanted to write about his life as a gay man as he gets older, you know, and address political issues. There's a song called Tiger Song where he really confronts stereotypes of black masculinity. And he wanted to write love songs to his partner, who's a filmmaker. His name's Scott J. Ross. All of that is here. The title track is really a great song, too, about a childhood friend of his. And something Naeem said was, you know, we hear all these songs to Ruby Tuesday or, you know, Jolene or whatever, but I wanted to hear the name Startisha in a song. I really, I really like that. I wonder what you think about this as a Bonnie expert, as I consider you, Stephen. <laughs> How does it fit into the, the Bonnie-verse? I, I know Naeem has worked with the band Gangs, who's associated with Bonnevere, and uh, I know, like you said, Swamp Dog, other artists associated with Justin Vernon are on this record. How does this fit in? Well, I mean, for one thing, you said it. I mean, other artists associated with Bonnevere are on this record. I mean, <laughs> once you hook into Justin Vernon's uh, musical universe, you kind of suddenly have at your disposal a lot of outside collaborators and a lot of people who can come in and bring sound expanding new ideas and you know I read an interview with him with with Naeem where he was basically saying he wasn't planning to have you know a whole bunch of guests and and stuff you know coming in he wanted to to kind of explore his own thing but then when he went and recorded this record you know those additional voices really made sense and so I mean the song that I played is certainly the most Bonnie Varian you you can hear <laughs> you can just hear the presence of Justin Vernon in, in that song but I think what that really gives him is a megaphone. It's a really tricky thing to, to, you know, spend, you know, 10 years of your life carving out one sound and then just pivot completely away from that, change the name that people know you as, and then basically just start over from scratch. And I think the nice thing about the association with Bon Iver is that gives him a platform to stand on and have these songs be heard. And I, they really deserve to be heard. It's definitely a contender for me for one of the better records of the year so far. Yeah, you, you love your shapeshifters, you love your tricksters. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's true. That's Startisha from the rapper and singer Naeem. Uh, next up, we've got the return of Nora Jones and her new album called Pick Me Up Off the Floor. Never 
that's Hurts to Be Alone from Nora Jones's seventh full-length studio album, Pick Me Up Off the Floor. Uh, for the past few years, Nora Jones is focused on recording one-off singles. Uh, they're often collaborations with the likes of Mavis Staples and Jeff Tweedy and Dove Man and uh, Terriona Tank Ball of Tank and the Bangas, uh, NPR favorite. Uh, she gathered a bunch of singles onto a seven-song EP called Begin Again that came out last year. She's quickly returned with this new album and Pick Me Up Off the Floor is a subdued record of, of kind of jazzy, bluesy, piano-based songs, but it's also got a ton of outside contributors, lots of rich, vibrant layers. And tell us about this new record from Nora Jones. I know you're a big fan. Stephen, we're in an era when established artists like Nora Jones, who has sold millions of albums and won multiple Grammys, can really run their careers in any way they want. For her, that's meant lifting herself out of the the grind of the album release cycle. And as you said, releasing a series of singles. This record does represent uh, that period of time, but it's not an outtakes record. It doesn't have that feel because what Nora Jones discovered as she contemplated the work she'd done over the past few years, she realized that a thread was running through her songwriting. And she was writing more songs by herself than ever before as well. The thread yet again, is one that is so appropriate for our moment. I mean, these songs have titles like Why Weep and, as we just heard, Hurts to Be Alone, although the catchphrase is Never Hurts to Be Alone, <laughs> and uh, Heartbroken, Day After. Uh, you know, it sounds it sounds like a big downer, doesn't it, Stephen? <laughs> but yet, it's Nora Jones, so you have that lightness and grace that she brings to everything she does. Um, you have this incredible sonic palette, uh, the interplay uh, between her and her bandmates, especially the drummer Brian Blade, who's like one of her prime collaborators. They almost have one mind on these mm-hmm. tracks. So, though she's dealing with pretty heavy emotions. It's almost a safe space where you can experience those emotions, these songs. She creates that space for us. That's Pick Me Up Off the Floor from Nora Jones. We've got one more album we want to get to for this week's New Music Friday, but first let's do our lightning round. Now, on last week's show, we broke format for a wide-ranging discussion of Run the Jewels' new album and how that record fits into the world at large. Uh, That's a great show, and you should check it out if you haven't already, but breaking format last week meant that there were some albums we didn't get to highlight. So in this week's lightning round for June 12th, we're actually going to start out by recommending a few albums from June 5th. Uh, Anne, why don't you kick us off? Stephen, one remarkable release from last week is Long Time Gone, which represents the Prison Music Project. The artist and activist Zoe Bookbinder worked with many different incarcerated people in New Folsom Prison in California to create these songs and work with their community of uh, musicians in New Orleans and beyond. It's out on Ani DeFranco's Righteous Babe Records. It's really, really an important listen. There are so many great, powerful, amazing women playing kick-ass guitar rock right now, from Lucy Dacus to Mitski to Jenny Beth, who we heard earlier on today's show. I really hope that when we talk about that great music, we include Katie Malko in that conversation. Uh, Her debut album, Failures, which came out last week, is full of bold and deeply catchy music. If you like any of the artists I just mentioned, I hope you check it out. Stephen, I'm always looking for um, great new music from Africa and from the small country on the Horn of Africa called Djibouti uh, next to Somalia comes a, a record from Group RTD 
called The Dancing Devils of Djibouti. All music in Djibouti is state-sponsored and state-run, but this guy named Vic Sahoni, who has a label called Ostinato, found this band, uh, realized they were playing really funky jams uh, when they weren't playing for the official uh, television and radio broadcasts of their country, and recorded them. So this is a little gift and opens a door to the music of this country. The Spanish rock band Heinz got its start playing sharp, driving rock and roll, and it sounds only gets more polished and wider ranging on its third album, which is called The Prettiest Curse. Uh, with lyrics in both English and Spanish, these songs have purpose and playfulness, uh, and also a real undercurrent of righteous indignation. It's a great record. I wish Nate and were still with us to talk about a great new jazz release from Daniel Carter, Matthew Shipp, William Parker, and Gerald Cleaver, four extraordinary players, kind of a super group of downtown New York. Uh, the record's called Welcome Adventure Volume one, we're lucky because there's going to be a Welcome Adventure Volume 2, but for now you can dive into this beautifully buoyant and deep uh, collaboration. And of course we want to do a lightning round for albums out today, June 12th, starting with Gogo Penguin is an instrumental trio from Manchester, England. Uh, they're putting out their sixth album today, and it's self-titled. If you haven't heard Gogo Penguin, I recommend you check out their Tiny Desk concert from back in 2018. You get a real sense of how they tweak their instruments to max this distinct sense of propulsion, of, of hypnotic rhythm that goes way beyond jazz and beyond classical music and beyond electronic music. Gogo Penguin won uh, Britain's Mercury Prize in 2014. This new record is another bold step forward. Koriki is a DC supergroup. Uh, if you like Fugazi, you're going to like this album because uh, Ian Mackay of Fugazi is in it. So is Joe Lally of Fugazi on the bass. He's also in the aesthetics. And the drummer is Amy Frenia of the band The Warmers. This is wonderful, energetic, uh, hardcore, post-hardcore uh, rock and roll played by three people who have actually been playing together for many years privately, finally releasing their debut album, Corky by Corky. And finally, a couple of artists I included in this year's Austin 100 have put out new albums. One is by Sammy Brew. He's a live wire blues rock singer who makes big, bold roots music. And even though he had a record deal since 2014, he's still just a teenager. And last week, the L.A. band Mama put out its debut album. I highly recommend it. It's a kind of a concept album that's built around weighty ideas like purgatory, but it also manages to be totally hooky and charming. Uh, that's called Two of Me. Uh, we're going to close out this week's show with an album that can be calming and beautiful, but also rich and dense and dramatic, something to occupy your brain and drown out the, the din for a bit. Maybe, maybe you need that. The artist Noveller has a great new kind of experimental ambient record. It's called Arrow.
that's pre-fabled from the guitarist Sarah Lipstate, who records under the name Noveller. Uh, Bob Boylan played one of her songs, Effectology, on All Songs Considered a couple months ago, and that's another gorgeous track. These songs by Sarah Lipstate can be woozy and experimental and symphonic, but there's also a real sense of foreboding to them, not to mention major artistic chops. Uh, Sarah Lipstate has worked with some powerhouse kind of boundary-pushing artists over the years, people like Iggy Pop and Glenn Branca and Lee Ronaldo from Sonic Youth, J.G. Thurlwell and others. As noveller, she deploys effects pedals and an assortment of, of tech, and she's actually become popular on Instagram and, and YouTube. She's on Instagram at, at Lipstate uh, for showcasing how she uses guitar pedals. She's been really open about explaining to fans how she makes the music she makes. Uh, I also highly recommend taking some time, maybe this weekend, just put some headphones on and get lost for a while. This record has really helped for me. Uh, Noveller is the artist. Her new album is called Arrow. That'll do it for New Music Friday. Robin Hilton will be back with us next week. Thank you so much for joining me, Anne. Stephen, it was a pleasure. If you want to go back and hear all the music we featured on this week's show, along with a bunch of other great new music out today, we've got expanded playlists in Apple Music and Spotify. Search for NPR's New Music Friday playlist in either of those apps. And a reminder, be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter. It's put together by the great and good Marissa LaRusso and Lindsay McKenna, and I recommend it so, so highly. To subscribe, go to npr.org slash music newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter at NPR Music. You can find me at I Dislike Steven and Anne at Anne K. Powers. You can find our guest Nate Chenen at Nate Chenen and our guest Tom Heisinga at NPR Classical. From NPR Music and All Songs Considered, I'm Stephen Thompson encouraging you to be well and treat yourself to lots of great music. <laughs>